data now a weapon? Is it the way forward? Is data a window into our future? Is it the new oil? Is data a geopolitical game changer? Is it a friend or foe to American democracy? How do we know? How do we know anything? Welcome to Data Reveal. Hey, Mark Fidelli here. Before we jump into this week's interview with Jim McHugh at Big Bear, two quick things. First, my audio cut out and I wasn't able to give Cord the introduction that I gave to Jim. What's great about that is it's caused me to go back and look again at his background. And I was delighted to know that in addition to the roles he's had, he's been responsible for some pretty significant projects at the FBI, at uh, CMS for the Affordable Care Act, some pretty big data warehousing roles, and a recent effort called ORCA, which you can look up on your own. That is a intelligence system for characterization of sort of adversary engineering capabilities. It's pretty interesting, pretty cutting edge stuff. Jim's involvement in that just speaks to the level of technical and leadership capability that he brings. Uh, He was at the American Chemical Association, a group called K-12, and most recently, New Wave, which was then purchased by and acquired into Big Bear. Big Bear is going public on NASDAQ next month in December, and we're excited to see what they do as a publicly traded company. But what I really love about Jim's story, and this is the second point, is that he started his career in parallel to working tech with a DJ company, which he kept for 28 full years in parallel to his tech career. And what I love about that is here's a guy who figured it out as he went, did it his way. And there are so many people in the federal workforce supporting the federal workforce who are doing that. And that's really the world we're in now. COVID, supply chain risk, things in Afghanistan, China and Russia, this movement of great power competition, challenges in education, race, So many issues related to sort of polarization. There's no way we can get forward with some template approach. We're going to have to figure it out as we go. And Jim's the kind of guy whose intuitive sense, he's ready. So as we jump in, that's the second point is intuition and readiness are big themes that we hear about. And why that's important, obviously, back to our theme, data reveals ground truth. No one's handing out success. That's the ground truth that we just come up against time and time out in our lives. And we're going to have to figure things out as we go. Data is a window into that. And with that, let's jump in. This is an interview with Jim McHugh, Vice President, National Intelligence Sector at Big Bear. I'm joined by Courtney Hastings and Andrew Churchill, as usual. And unfortunately, my audio cut out. So we're jumping in to the interview in progress. So Jim, you've been over 30 years in in telco, federal data management, lots of projects. So we've all seen sort of client server to cloud. I think you even saw COBOL and sort of the legacy mainframe world to client server. So if I can, on a scale of sort of like one to 10, how ready do you think today's leaders and data practitioners are specifically in federal? How ready are they to sort of leap into what's next, right? You have sort of a a workforce that has, spans that gamut. We're getting into AI, ML, unexplainable capabilities of automation to find things and recommend things. It's kind of a new world. How how are you looking at that from your sort of experience and, and how ready are we for the capabilities that are available for us? 
Now, Mark, that's a great question. I'm going to say about a three out of 10. Many government agencies appear to be, you know, kind of stuck in their old ways or they lack the funding to make the visionary changes that they need to make. Now, with that said, I have met several AI and ML leaders and visionaries interspersed throughout different three-letter agencies who are trying to use AI ML solutions to meet their mission objectives. You know, they're, they're really making some significant progress, although incremental, and, and they are being successful and they're having that funding flow to them because of that success. The real challenge is, you know, the movers and shakers aren't going into the government, you know, solution areas, right? They're, they're going to corporate America and, and doing great things out there. But uh, the government agencies really need this kind of technology today more than ever. Jim, this is a theme we hear again and again. Just recently, we were on a call with Monica Breidenbach, who's in the Office of Personnel Management, talking about boomer retirement, upwards of 30% of the federal workforce, the need to bring in the you know, Gen Z community, the digital natives, to be able to tackle these problems and, and have a confidence. They know how to use data. They know how to use modern systems. So that sort of fits directly in this sort of a three out of 10 I don't think that's a huge reveal, so to speak. I think a lot of folks know that it's sort of behind a little bit in, in federal, but there are winners. There are successes. From the beginning, we've talked about post 9-11, certain things have worked. Information sharing has progressed. So of the three out of 10 that is working, and those sort of, I want to say revolutionaries, that's maybe not the right word, visionaries, I think was your word, but that could sort of revolutionize things. Two questions. One, I want to peel into one area, supply chain management, you and I've talked about that a lot. It's a hot topic. It's probably causing funding because it's such a uh, obvious thing to you know the American people. But before I get into that, just the kinds of leaders, what does it take to, to rally the troops for innovation, specifically something new like AI and ML that can be seen as disruptive? What encourages you broadly? And then we can, we can get into the, the specific challenge of supply chain. Like I said earlier, right, there there are those several visionaries, right, the, the people who are in there really trying to push AI and ML solutions that are making a difference. The, the challenge that they face is they are pushing that rock uphill, and too often they're trying to push that rock up that hill by themselves. What they need to do is find more people to help push, Right. That's where the real challenge is, right? There's not enough people that are near and or around them that can help them, you know, carry that load. And what often happens is they end up burned out and they end up leaving. That's, you know, we talked, you talked about re retirements, but you didn't mention burnout. And that's, that's what I see happening to some of these, mm. these real visionaries. They get frustrated and burned out because you know, they're pushing as hard as they can and they're not seeing the success that they could or would see with the same amount of energy, the same amount of excitement in the corporate world. I mean, Andrew, Courtney, we could almost pause here from a culture standpoint. We talk about this so much. I do want to talk about supply chain because I think there's a hopeful story when it's like they say, don't waste a crisis. Everyone knows you know, the holidays coming up, stuff's not available. Or, I mean, I just, I talk to people all the time, like, hey, I'm doing this project, a build out, or I have some extra money, I want to do something at home, and they can't do it. 
And that trickles all the way through, you know, the whole post-COVID world. The supply chains are being rewritten, not least of which is, you know, China has a stake in supply chains from them to us. And that's, you know, great power competition is a real thing in our community. So there is a sense that everybody should theoretically want, as you said, Jim, pull in the same direction. Supply chain is one area where we all can understand, you know, in a digital world, I'm expecting to be able to order something and get it quickly. Now we don't have that. I mean, before before we get into this, Andrew, Courtney, I mean, you guys have, have seen the, the data evolution too. Do you have anecdotal thoughts or comments on like where the big progress is from from our perspective in getting players together that can move things forward? It could be AI and ML and and having drawing attention so that those of us in sort of concerned about supply chain can point to some examples. Jim and others can point to examples of who's doing this well, who's really teaming up. I mean, we talk about the DoD Advanta platform a lot. That's an incredible program. It's been revolutionary to find sort of lost inventory in the Navy and to expedite senior level decision making in the COVID crisis. So there's others just and 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 things that others in the listening audience might not know about, but should that gives us all confidence that even though we feel like maybe it's a three out of 10, those groups that are really making progress, they're out there. What, what do you guys think? What are you seeing to, to sort of lighten the, uh, the storyline here? <laughs> This sound is going to sound incredibly self-serving, but we at Click have started these roundtables to sort of provide that support that Jim was talking about that people need when trying to push the rock up the hill, as he said, because I think that is, you know, we haven't really talked a lot about the burnout here, but it makes a lot of sense and the ability to bring together communities of people who are trying to do the same thing or those who haven't been able to get the rock up the hill, but they are able to chat with someone who who has and can provide some support and encouragement. I think that is, you know, a really great solution for them. Yeah, and I, I mean, you know, we right before we joined this session to record, we, we were on a, a call organized by you know, one of the DOD services industry outreach groups. And, you know, the platform that was being presented, while, you know, I think uh, <laughs> challenged in its, uh, its progress to achieve its, its stated goals, the thing that was incredible was the engagement. Uh, there was a people really cheering for the outcome that, uh, that these things deliver. I think the visionary leaders Jim talks about have a, a bunch of really hopeful constituents out there people that know that there are some significant needs that are possible, some significant requirements that are possible given modern tools and capabilities. And while they may not agree with the path, they certainly are cheering on the effort being made. And I, you know, to me, that that level of engagement is is higher than it's ever been. Because in the past, I mean, we've been at this for a long time. I think all of us have. There there were a lot of folks that really would 10 years ago, 15 years ago, would have liked to have seen paper processes continue to be there because their strength was, I know how this works. And now I think even those people sit there and say, everybody should know how this works. So That's great. So, I mean, Jim, this is, this is partly therapy, partly us talking about real problems because we all face 
the challenge of not enough leaders are empowered. But if we assume that engagement is higher than it's ever been, I think that the rest of the theme of this conversation that we've wanted to have, and, and Jim, you've had you and I had these conversations sort of offline that that brought us here. Supply chain management, supply chain risk, supply chain optimization, making things go faster to get us what we need, to track it, to secure it. That is a great, great place for AI, ML to make a significant difference. And obviously, the infrastructure bill, there's a lot more money moving into parts of the economy that can make a difference in human life, in real communities. And the government has a unique role to play in those sorts of capability sort of rollouts. So, Let's take it from the top, supply chain management. What is it? Like, first time an audience member is really hearing about that specific area, they don't know much about it other than, you know, if they're on their Amazon app, where's my stuff? I guess I got to get stuff somehow, right? How do you define it? And like, just talk a little bit about AI and ML, what it can help do in supply chain management. Excellent question, Mark. So let's start with the definition, right? So supply chain is a sequence of processes involved in the production and distribution of a commodity, right? And we don't want to confuse it with logistics, right? So logistics management is the process of managing the flow and storage of goods inside an organization. The supply chain management is the coordination and management of the supply chains of an organization, right? So that's outside. So you're looking at inside versus outside. So there are three kind of main points in the supply chain, right? The three main flows, right? Um, we have a production flow, an information flow, and a financial flow. So from the from the product flow, we that's where the movement of goods is going from producer to consumer, right? Information flow, that's centering on transmitting orders and updating inventory status. And finally, the financial flow is credit terms, payment schedules, co-assignments, title ownership, et cetera, right? All those things that are getting money to move back and forth. So AI and ML have a very uh, important aspect in this supply chain process. For example, I'm going to use stuff that I know. So I know it, uh, in Big Bear AI's commercial sector, we're working with a, a number of maritime shipping companies, right? And we're trying to optimize the product flow and ship routing to avoid port congestion. We're experiencing that today, you're seeing it. We've been working on this project with them for over a year. Companies are, are they're looking to use this AI ML information to buy and sell futures on contracts on the vessels. These are happening weeks and months before they're even scheduled to sail. In the federal sector, we're starting to see an uptick in agencies that are accepting and implementing AI solutions, right, to address all their information challenges, right? We see the, the DOD and the IC communities are, are really starting new programs, innovative new programs to use AI and ML to make themselves more efficient. So in, in both the, the commercial and federal decision makers, you know, you're seeing a, a better understanding of the challenge that's happening and, and the courses of actions that these AI and ML solutions can provide them. But, you know, at the end of the day, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this, AI ML is not a panacea for decision-making. It's just another tool in your arsenal that can be used to help someone make a better decision and to understand the ramifications of those decisions, right? 
for example, let me go back a few years. I was part of a team uh, that was tasked with improving event predictions. So when we got on, on site, there's five of us, we jumped on site. The team that was there was making predictions at, at 20% the day before. We were able to come in, use AI, ML, and a whole bunch of data, and we increased that to 80% event predictions seven days ahead. Wow. Now, that's pretty good stuff that allowed that decision maker to make the best possible decision based on what they knew at that time. Now, you never want to get rid of the, the person in the middle if you're talking about a life and death decision or, you know, you know, I'm not talking about hundreds of dollars, but if you're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars, you probably don't want something just to be automated and, and firing off. You want that person in the middle to be to be the regulator, right? To say, hey, wait a minute, we may or may not want to, you know, make this trade or 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 have this action because that would have a, a problem. So that's a lot of really good stuff. There. Mark, I got I have a really got a question I have to ask on this one and you know, Jim, the, the stuff that you're talking about there, that AI ML alone aren't going to make decisions for you, good decisions in particular. So 15 years ago, I could go anywhere in D.C. without navigation. I just knew how to get places. Like I'd, I'd, I'd gone to meetings in every corner of the city. Today, I, I literally turn on ways to go pick my kids up from school five minutes away. And it it's that I'm I'm hampered. So you had that uh, Colin Powell, you know, forty seventy rule around decision making about leaders needing intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as we begin to in our day to day rely on AI and ML. I mean, that, that that's what Waze effectively is. It's 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 making routing decisions based on data. It's it's trying to you know, it's telling me what it it's it's suggesting. I often deny it. And say no, I know where I'm going. But what are your thoughts on that human aspect of it? Like you said, they alone are not there; they're to augment. But what's the challenge with continuing to develop the, the intuition, that decision-making, natural ability of leaders, while still enhancing the capabilities to bring data to enhance that uh, that capacity? Yeah, that's a Excellent question, right? To use your metaphor, it's making us dumber, right? We can't read a map anymore, right? So then you lose your intuition about where you're at because you're relying on that technology to make all the decisions for you. You need to have that intuition, right? And that's why you need that person in the middle a lot of times. A lot of times the AIML will give you courses of action as options, right? Just like you said. I, hey, you can you can take you know the southbound road, or you can take you know the middle road, or you can take the northbound. But you, you'll still get there. You may get there faster or not. You may take a toll road or not. You still need to have that intuition, right? That that gut feel of hey, I've been on this road at five fifteen before. I know what it looks like. I can tell you, there's you know we all live in, in Northern Virginia, Maryland, DC area. I can tell you how many times I've I've been on the same road at the same time. And I know that if I go to the far right lane at this little section, it's going to go faster. And then if I cut over to the far left lane at the next section, it's going to go faster. And you kind of, 
you start weaving around traffic because of things that you know. Waze isn't going to tell you to go left, go go to the far right lane, and and you know for you know a half a mile, then then go over to the the middle lanes because they're going to go faster. It's just you you've tracked this, you had that intuition, and you start to lose that if that's the only way you're making your decisions. You need to make some of your decisions without AI and ML, or at least make your decisions based on the course of action and some of your own background knowledge. But it is, I mean, it is helpful. That's why we're here. And this literally happened to me today, coming home from Tyson's this afternoon. I'm just about to get into my car. My husband texts me. He's like, if you're leaving now, do not get on the beltway. There's a huge accident right before the bridge. So I, you know, have my ways up. It says, take the beltway, take the beltway. So I do some searching and and realize that the other way I was supposed to get home also had issues too. So I just stayed on with ways and ended up getting home faster than he could. So it is it is something. <laughs> it is something, but you used some intuition there, right? I did. Some, some knowledge of, hey, if that road's backed up, right, then I it's probably best that I stay on the highway. So, I mean, this is fantastic. And, and I, I have some previous conversations we've had in mind, right? So that intuition is a human asset. The AIML to recommend is a digital asset, if you will, like a, a, an add-on. So, Jim, you talked about understanding the ramifications of a decision before you make it. That, to me, is like the missing link, right? When you see three courses of action on ways, the ramification is how long it takes, right? Courtney just said it. Like, it's going to take me 25 minutes, 27 minutes, 38 minutes. Okay, the first two, not a big difference. I could take either eliminate option three, I'll do one or, or the other. It seems to me that the generation coming up and the generation retiring, if there's like a, a middle ground and, and your experience, and honestly, as a DJ, because you just said it, right? Like, knowing, I know, knowing what a person needs, AIML can't know that. And honestly, young people can't really know what senior leaders need either. It's so subtle. There's so much about like credibility. There's so much about how did I get here and how do I represent the people that helped me get here? Intuition is a huge concept, right? So the numbers of leaders who have stories on top of stories that guide them, like their own internal ways, that's irreplaceable. But I think understanding the ramifications, if senior leaders don't burn out, right, and can, or, or the innovators don't burn out and can bring like younger people and older people together to show the ramifications. You just mentioned it, courses of action. So, so production, information flows, financial. If you bring those three data sets together, here's option one. Like, just think a very visual decision support sort of center, like where, where you're saying behind this door, number one, similar to ways, here's what's going to happen. Here's how fast something's going to get from A to B. Here's how much it's going to cost. Here's the number of extra steps. So those steps are risks or dependencies. And, you know, what do we all care about? Money and time, right? It, it almost always comes down to those two things. Do you think we're at an inflection point where you can bring those generations together and look at courses of action together and start to do ramification analysis ahead of time? And that is what AI and ML can do, like really show this is how long it's going to take. We're really predicting. So it's not guesswork and use that as a training drill for these younger folks so they can start to develop their in, intuition 
about decisions. I, I've wondered this for a long time, and since you're, we're bringing it up, it just seems to me that, like you said, the ramifications, understanding that ahead of time is the actual key to like bringing these groups together. Mark, you're absolutely correct, right? And I, and I, yes, maybe it's just because I'm, I'm an optimist and I think the glass is always half full. Yes, we, we can find that, that middle ground. Can we capture all that intuition, all those, those gut feelings that the, hey, wait, I, I think I've done this before, or I've seen somebody else make this mistake. Maybe I don't want to do that. I don't think that we can, right? At the end of the day, I believe that AI and ML is, is just another arrow in your quiver to help you make a better decision, right? It's putting more data in front of you and should be providing you with those courses of actions. And those courses of actions also come with those, hey, if you do this, here's a possible outcome. If you do that, here's another possible outcome. Now they both in the, uh, hey, I'm trying to get home, the ramifications there aren't really, you know, dire, right? But in some of the people that I deal with, you're talking life and death, right? You're talking, mm. or you're talking yeah. the difference between a hundred million dollars and a billion dollars. Mm. So what I love about this that connects the dots is if we can get young people sitting alongside those seasoned veterans that have that intuition together, looking at the same picture, that's a huge chance to con- uh convey or impart intuition just by walking through. In other words, I think we go too fast. I think senior leaders make decisions too fast because they know the next meeting's coming up. They know the next thing and and not bringing younger people into the mix to talk about, here's why we're thinking about this. Here's the implication. I actually think, you know, not to, to create a tangent, but supply chain is something that's so common to all of us. Everybody knows what that is. Get me my stuff fast, reduce the cost, reduce the number of exposures, sort of hops between point A and point B. Like you said, it's external, so you've got a lot of organizations. Uh, I won't hit on that any further unless you have comments. I, we have some other questions, but I think with, from a reveal standpoint, I think the multi-generational intuition, AIML training experience, working through decisions together is a great play for the federal workforce to, to draw in those Gen Z folks, to get boomers that are retiring, to convey their knowledge, and the operators who are in the middle, still mid-career, can combine those two. And maybe that three out of 10 moves four, five, six out of 10, because indeed, AIML should unleash a lot of processing capability really quickly if it, it fulfills the promise. Yeah. I, Mark, I, Jim, I love the, you know, the tagline that currently sits on Big Bear's website that you know, and artificial intelligence creates confidence that your next step is the right step. Hmm. To me, I think that's what the capacity of, of that technology is right now. It's increased confidence, and it's something like, you know, tying into Mark's statement about Gen Z. I mean, what do we use today? We, we get all this information at our fingertips. It's a Yelp review. It's a, a bit of confidence about a contractor we're going to hire to do the roof. It's uh, whatever. It's Again, I decided to take the belt. I'm not going to miss picking up my kids because I take the beltway. It's confidence that that decision I'm going to make is great. I really think you know, right there is, is is the promise. If we can make, if we can accelerate that decision, you know, cycle by creating more confident decision makers, we've we've scored. I agree. 
And how I think we can do that, right, is to capture all of that that gut feel, that that information that is in the boomers, that is in the the, the high gen experts, right? That that have been through a lot of these processes. If we can capture that and put it in a format that is a part of building out that course of action, giving them that additional information that they may or may not have experienced yet, but it's captured and it's displayed to them. Now, now you have something that's really powerful, right? Because they're getting the value of that, you know, senior leader's previous experience that would be walking out the door, but instead is left as a digital footprint that can be used moving forward. How? Man, let's do it, right? I love that. <laughs> that the tools are there. So we know. So storytelling comes to mind. When senior leaders, and I'm thinking coaches too, not just sort of like I've had the pleasure of, of spending a lot of time with military leaders, retired military leaders. My dad was in juvenile justice for a lot of years, became a senior leader in sort of justice programs. There's probably four or five areas where I feel confident I've been truly mentored, right? This, that's what I think of, Jim. Is this really a lot about sort of mentoring? Do you think it's a lot about on-the-job training? Is it data literacy so everybody knows, you know, what a regression analysis is and how to do a little Python and R scripting? Is it technical or is it a really sort of human thing that you're talking about? No. You know, I think it's really coaching, right? It's That's what they need. You know, when when I was coming up, I knew how to do the, the moving the ones and zeros around, right? What I didn't know was why I had to do it a certain way or somebody had already done this, tried this before and it didn't work, right? But hey, maybe they didn't have this technology, right? Or maybe they didn't think of this, right? But if I knew all the things that were tried before and I was coached, right? Then I then I can make better decisions. And that's really what AI and ML is about, right? It's about putting all of the information in front of people so that they can make a better decision. Right, ML. The L is learning. That's so good. That just, I always skip over that. It's the AI. It's the artificial or the automated, but it's the learning from the, the gobs of data that really makes, makes it matter. Right. That's great. All right, so I'm more hopeful. I'm feeling a little bit better. I'm thinking the burnout crowd, maybe there's one person out there who's literally listening to this and thinking, I might burn out. And I know this is almost going to kind of like, sound like an altar call. I don't mean it to sound like that. I just, I grew up in places where that's sort of my default in the back of my mind. You, you build to the altar call, like it's, it's going to be okay, right? But, but no, honestly, I think there's this element of it's overwhelming to deal with that amount of information. It's overwhelming. Oh, now I got to learn AIML. Oh, now I got to learn cloud. But when the experts come in and implement these things, it is pretty straightforward. UI and UX, right? Like people have made these tools capable. We don't even need a manual to use our iPhones anymore. We just know how to. So that all that baked in intuition is in our favor. As we come out of the pandemic, starting to go back to work in many cases or work from home, and we're using maybe more AIML in the cloud, in the background, how do you think like what can drive in those three areas, finance, information, and obviously production, what are some some things in the supply chain space? And then we can pan out broadly a little bit as, as we get ready to, to wrap up here. What are the drivers of some of some change? What are some things that people can can rally around, younger and older people, 
that should be able to make us more intuitive, but then also more capable with AI ML to automate faster and to get the benefits of, of an analytics and insights faster? Wow, great question. So the drivers of change is, is progress, right? Always moving forward, right? So we, we want to do things better than we did them last week, last month, last year. It's, it's kind of ingrained in every person. It's, it's who we are as a species. We don't want to go back. We always want to go forward. So I think, I think that's the real driver, right? It's, it's just built in every, every person. From where I sit in, in my organization and the people with whom I deal with every day, the challenge is real, right? Because we have adversaries who sometimes don't like us for whatever reason. And yeah. because of that, you know, we have, to, we have to push forward just to defend ourselves and to make sure that, that we're safe. And I use the, the, the USA, we, that we're all safe. That's great. Well, I mean, coming out of the pandemic, if I've ever felt a sense of camaraderie with all people in our country and in the world, really, but especially our country, more than ever. And it's really irritating that adversaries, these are criminal groups, these are nation states, these are a lot of groups that are exploiting in the supply chain the fact that we're dependent on stuff, we're sitting at home, we need it. And because we're dependent on it, that's, that's a chance for them to take advantage of. That's its own topic. I could get really fired up about that. But last question, like hope for the future. I wanted to ask about technologies. What technologies make you excited? Blockchain or crypto or topic? But let's maybe not talk about technology. What If you want to talk about technology, great. I'll open it up. What, what makes you hopeful about, and I love the way you said it, the driver of progress is progress. We love to make progress and then do it better next time. So where do we need to be investing our time and effort to, to make progress happen so that that's not a three out of 10 in the federal space where you know so much depends on how effectively we can get things done? Where's the hope that you see of the combination of intuition, AI, ML, and sort of innovation to, to make the world better? Wow. Okay. I think we need increased interaction with our data, right? Like I said, robust data. Data that's that comes to us just kind of like when we turn on the faucet at home, right? It just comes out as right as water, and it we, when we ingest it to our body, it just nourishes us, right? So, so that data has to be readily available, right? So, what does that mean? That means you know I have to get the right data to the right person in the right format at the right time. Any one of those is wrong total breakdown. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I give you the right data and, you know, at the right time in the wrong format, I can't use it. Right. Right. So, I, so I think our interaction with data is critical. Right. And with that, we want to like really kind of democratize data science. We need to get more. What do you mean by that? That's great. I love it. What The citizen data scientists. Mm -hmm. We need more of those out there helping us, right? The crowdsourcing crowd, right? The, the people on ways that are saying, hey, there's a, there's a police officer over here in a speed trap, or hey, there's a, there's, a, there's a camera light over here, or hey, there's an accident and I'm in a seven mile backup, right? All of those things, you know, we're, we're consuming 
pretty regularly. And that's from the help of the crowd, right? So a little crowdsourcing helps as well. That's great. And that's a true supply chain play, right? The information flows, like you said, is one of those three things. So ways as an analogy applies to anything and it's any process, but especially stuff going from A to B. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And and you want to be able to, the, the data source that you're getting that data from has to be trusted. Everybody trusts Waze mainly because the same reason why we trust Wikipedia, right? Because there's a group of people out there that are making sure that it's right and it's up to date. That's good. That's good. So your data source has to be trusted. Yeah, I mean, Jim, I, you know, I saw, I've sold data quality solutions long, long back. And, you know, the biggest problem was that lack of willingness to engage. I, I, I'm, I don't have time to tell somebody that the police officer's there on the road. People wanted to state that the data was bad, but not really engage in the activity of improving it. And I, I do think that that, again, is changing. I, I think citizen data scientists is kind of a, a sexy thing. Like, it's like my son's a sophomore in college. He's learning analytics and data science right now as a sophomore. And that wasn't, he, he's not a computer science guy, <laughs> nowhere close, but it really is, it's becoming, you know, sort of very mainstream. And I think we're, we will see those skill sets emerging in, in the, at the scale that will be required to support that vision that you have because that you're spot on. That you must you must trust the data, and why are you going to do that? You're going to do that because, like Wikipedia, it's crowdsourced. It's it's been it's received the scrutiny that makes it worthy of of supporting a decision that's critical to you, or you know, really going to you know be your decision. That to me is is progress for sure. It is. It's in our best interest. And to bring up Monica again, it was our discussion with her that made me sort of realize that she was speaking as, you know, a federal employee, but she also mentioned, you know, as a citizen of the United States, as a taxpayer, I am also interested in ensuring that our workforce um, is as capable as possible and has all the tools that they need to do the best job. And the same thing is here. I mean, I think that we don't often talk like this, although we don't work directly for the federal government, we work with them closely, but we are also citizens as well. So it's in our best interest to have all of the information. Yeah, absolutely. And Andrew, to kind of follow up on on what you said is, and this is why I'm hopeful, and this is why I'm an optimistic person. And that's because those digital natives, right, the Gen Zs, they're the ones who are actively engaged in all that's right. of of this crowdsource yep. of all of the reviews. So you know that when you go to that that restaurant or you buy that product, that it's quality because the crowd, the wisdom of the crowds will bring the right answer to the right person at the right time. That's great. I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a great place to finish. Although I'd be remiss if I didn't connect a last dot. I think the communities of Gen Zers that provide that scrutiny and that engagement, they're going to be the ones that think the citizen data scientist is, is as cool as a DJ was to us, right? <laughs> it's going to be cool to be that person, right? Because they see the benefit. So that's the connection, right? We just need to make that little swag that we felt like when we listened to our music with our Walkmans on, right? Or when we were in the club, 
back in the day for the first time and it just you felt like you came alive. I agree, Jim. I think feeling like having good data makes you feel a little something like that. I don't, you know, if we could put all this to music some way, that that'd be even better. But I, I do think that the the younger crowd would prize citizen data scientists and others making the world better with data, stuff we would have called nerdy, like, oh, those dweebs, those dorks. We were wrong. These guys are right. That makes me optimistic too. And I don't think it's three out of 10. I really don't. I think we're at a three out of 10 for folks who have been slogging away for generations in a paradigm that's pre-digital. The digital natives are on the front end of the rest of his history, <laughs> potentially. And they don't put as much weight on the past like we do because we've lived through it with a larger portion of our lives. For them, it's just like prologue. So I think, you know, it is going to be a hiring challenge in the federal workforce, like Courtney said, that's outside of the government that is supporting the government is probably where the innovation is going to happen. And well, what do we know? We work with people that are doing that every single day and they're doing it well, including you, Jim. And we really appreciate your partnership and all you've done and uh, your storytelling. And we look forward to more of it. Uh, thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure to be on the, the show here today. And uh, I appreciate all you've done and, and uh, look forward to working with you as well. And I, I can't let it end without uh, just saying, you know, I'm really happy, excited uh, for everybody over that big bear. You guys are in a, enjoying a great moment in the uh, sort of history of the company. Later this month, when that big event happens, we'll be uh, cheering for everybody that's there. Yeah, it'll be exciting uh, to have Reggie and, and the team up there ringing the bell. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Congratulations. And with that, thanks everyone for listening. This has been Data Review.